Hello and welcome to this week's Investor Insights podcast. I'm Duncan Lamont and I'm pleased to be joined today by Johanna Kirkland. Welcome, Johanna. Hello. Uh, the great thing about you having Johanna here is that I can ask her about pretty much anything. Um, great for you guys listening, but makes it a challenging for Johanna when the, the subjects are so wide ranging. There's been no sign of a lull in summer markets. Um, been a really interesting shift in behaviour during August compared with how much of the rest of the year had been playing out. And I'm not talking about Donald Trump saying the US is interested in potentially buying Greenland here. As a reminder, in the blue corner, we've had weak growth, growing concerns about recession risk and top evaluations. But in the red corner, we've had central banks almost universally shifting towards an easy stance. If it was a boxing match, central banks would have been winning on points and supporting risky assets. Bad news equals good news has been the mantra. However, that has changed this month. Bad news has equaled bad news. Government bond yields, which had already fallen noticeably this year, have moved sharply lower. US tenure ended last week barely above 1.5%, down almost 50 basis points this month alone. The tenure is now yielding 30 basis points less than the three-month rate. And as we've explained before, this yield curve inversion has historically had a good track record of predicting recessions. In the UK, 10-year yields ended below 50 basis points, while German 10-year boons fell to a new all-time low of almost minus 70 basis points. Just think of that, minus 70 basis points. Japanese yields also fallen further to minus 24. The big change in the narrative, however, has been that risky asset classes have come under pressure at the same time, in more of a traditional risk-off way. US markets shed 3%, Europe and emerging markets are in 4 UK and Japan 5 We've had high yield spreads increasing by about 50 basis points, investment grade almost 20 up. And with the exception of gold, which continues to rise, most commodities have also been selling off. Before everyone gets a bit overly dramatic, however, it is worth bearing in mind that US equities were still up 17% year to date. UK and European markets also on strong gains and credit spreads well below their start of year levels. When Phil Chandler was on this call back in June, he made the point that central bank support can only go so far. If we go into a recession, then regardless of what they can do to support multiples, earnings are going to fall and equities are going to come under pressure. So I guess you had the million-dollar question, I'm sure one that was discussed at last week's Sigma and asset allocation meetings, is whether have we reached that stage now? Well, as you say, I think we've been basically confronted with these two interlinked and somewhat offsetting trends ample central bank liquidity and a weakening economic cycle. Mm. And in fact, since June, we've had more uh, data supporting both those trends. So we've continued to see weak economic data and more banks, uh, central banks joining what we call the cutting club. So more, most recently, Central Bank of New Zealand, for example, has talked about slashing rates. So I think the challenge we have, though, in some sense, one could say the cyclical environment is negative. Yeah. And certainly our cyclical models continue to indicate that we're in an environment of high cyclical risk. So, for example, we, we, we divide the economic cycle into four phases. And right now we moved into the slowdown phase in April, which is the most challenging phase for markets. So from a cyclical standpoint, I'd say the environment is negative. Okay. As you rightly point out, though, we have over a third of global government bonds now trading at negative yields, though. And that really pushes investors up the risk curve. So, you know, the, the discussion we had last week is, you know, do we try and fade some of the rally in bonds, for example, which we've continued to own, or do we try and rotate into cheaper assets? And the c conclusion we came to is, unfortunately, we need to hold on to those expensive assets. We think this environment of anemic global growth, plentiful liquidity is going to continue. 
And what that means is that you should favour assets that benefit from that search for yield. Um, and on the other hand, try and avoid too much cyclicality. So in some sense, we're saying bad news is bad news because we're still avoiding the cyclical areas, even yeah. though they've got cheaper. Yeah, and I guess I suppose the risk has been that whether um, investors have been banking on central banks, the liquidity to be able to to bail them out and actually support risky asset classes. But it sounds like you're saying that actually the cyclical dynamics are now getting to the stage where um, it, it's getting harder to to believe that they can continue to, to support markets in the same way. Well, crucially, the low rates, as I said, force investors up the risk curve. So they create this search for yield, which I think underpins asset classes like high yield debt, which we still own. Mm-hmm. But what we don't believe is that lower rates are going to stimulate global economic activity to a point where you really can invest in a broad market recovery. Okay. So I think that's a distinction that you have to make. So there are areas of the market that can perform but it will continue to be the areas that perform this year, which is basically credit um, and more defensive stocks. Yeah, I think that's. It's, I suppose it's really interesting that the point that you made that you're you're still being you're buying expensive assets because I guess the natural um, reaction some people might have is to say that some parts of the market extended, so therefore the best strategy is to go looking for the areas that look look cheap. But it sounds like actually you're taking a slightly different approach at this point in the cycle. Yes, our bias is, as I said, to stay with those um, those areas that benefit from liquidity. So I think we've said a number of times on this call we're favouring carry strategies yeah. in credit and in currency. Um, and we still own equities, but we're running lower levels of equity exposure, really reflecting, as I said, the cyclical, cyclical concerns that we have. So would you, would you be a buyer of government bonds at these levels? If it, like minus 70 basis points in German Bund seems exceptionally low, um, regardless of any views as to inflation or the growth out, outlook. With the, do you think they still can make a case for buying at these levels? Well, we, we did have uh, sort of uh, flatteners at the long end on the German curve, and we've taken profits on that. So, okay. you know, German curve does look a bit expensive. Um, but obviously, the, net, the level of yields is not very attractive. I wouldn't say we're adding to our government bond exposure, but we do still own government bonds because the biggest risk is that basically with growth being this anemic, is that any gust of wind can blow you off course. And, you know, there are a number of political um, risks out there. The situation in Hong Kong, Brexit, where, you know, we seem to be heading towards no deal. Now, it might be that the politicians blink in the end, but for the next few weeks, the environment is quite fraught. And I think people are underestimating the risk of a no-deal Brexit for a European economy that's already quite weak. So these kinds of things are hanging in the air. Yeah, and I guess I suppose uh, there's been a lot of political and geopolitical uncertainty and stability for, for some time now, but markets have so far been relatively sanguine about it, except... Uh, I guess what I'm hearing from you is that actually some of the, it wouldn't take very much to go wrong on that side for some of the um, the steady she goes nature of markets to actually get blown off course a little. Yes. So we need to be aware of that. As I said, I mean, often, you know, with politics, it's a game of brinkmanship, but certainly for the next few weeks, it casts a bit of shadow on the markets. Okay. Can you talk a bit more about some of the carry positions that you've been holding? Um, I think in previous calls, the view had been that given where we were, um, the potential for future price gains and capital appreciation was more limited, so it made sense to focus on areas where you could get a bit of yield and carry to 
to generate a bit more stability in return. Wh- which areas have been most interesting to you from that perspective? Well, generally, I mean, for our portfolios that are sort of high risk, we're focusing on areas like high yield debt, and we do have US investment grade debt as well. And the benefit of those positions, I mean, the thing that worries me about them is that they're quite well owned. Okay. But if the global economy reaccelerates, we can hang on to those positions and then add equities on top. On the other hand, if we do enter recession, given that we still need to own some assets for return, we'd probably still want to own those assets and we could just sell equities against them. So for us, they've become a fairly core position and we then use the equity weight to trade the range in risk. And, and within that, is it more looking at the, the US market, sounded like, rather than looking over towards towards Europe or emerging no, markets? No, we, we own or? both. I mean, we sort of, you know, we rely, it depends on the strategy, but typically we're, we're looking for spread. Okay. Um, does that does that encourage you to look towards emerging markets? Um, or, or I guess in the more defensively minded approach, does it take you more towards developed? No, we have le- more developed. So we do have exposure to emerging market currencies, but generally we don't have that much exposure to other emerging market assets, be it equities or bonds. And again, it comes back to this idea that, you know, global trade growth is flat. Um, and ultimately, these markets do require more meaningful recovery. Okay. Um, I guess currencies are also something which can have a, a significant bearing on portfolio performance, but also a number of, of those asset classes themselves as well, like emerging market currencies, for example, depending on what happens in the dollar, can be influenced quite strongly. Um, also can affect just some of our, our views around hedging in portfolios as well. Um, the dollar is probably the most important one to focus on there. So is there anything um, you can tell me about how your views on the dollar at the moment? Well, basically, we like the dollar. Um, The reason is because some other hedges have got expensive, like government bonds. So we need to be cognizant of that. Mm -hmm. Um, While the dollar still offers a positive carry, which is interesting to us. And I think the other benefit of the dollar is that given we're very much positioned for central bank liquidity in our portfolios, and we don't have any reason to expect central banks to reverse course, but, you know, we need to be con- co- cognizant of the fact that, for example, the US economy is, is at full employment. So, you know, any disappointment from the Fed would be quite bad for markets at this point. We really yeah. need that liquidity. And so the long dollar is quite a useful hedge against the risk that liquidity is not forthcoming for whatever reason. So we like the dollar, as I said, positive carry relative to other hedges uh, and crucially a great hedge against basically central bank disappointment. And I guess if we do find that um, the Fed follows through with more rate cuts, then would would that impact that from the, the carry position? Or would you be more inclined to still maintain that dollar position from uh, a kind of liquidity risk aversion angle? Well, we sort of rotate a little bit where we own that position. So early in the year, we were long dollar versus euro. And we took profits on that particular position okay. at the end of last week because it went down to its lows. We're still long dollar versus Singapore dollar and versus the Canadian dollar. So we've reduced the extent of the dollar hedge to some extent, but because again, there was central bank disappointment from the Fed recently. Um, but ultimately, it's, it is positive carry because the issue is that although the Fed might be cutting rates, everyone else, everyone else too. is too. Yeah, I guess. So it, for now, it stays positive carry. But you're right. I mean, if the Fed really managed to get ahead of the curve. Then, then we could be in, an, in a much weaker dollar environment, which would be great for some risk assets, by the way. So that's an upside surprise. A weak dollar environment for me is not a bad environment. Okay. Because actually that would suggest the Fed has really eased very aggressively. It's and arguably it could be a catalyst for stronger market performance. Yeah. I guess your point on the currency side as well is similar to 
um, the points on government bonds, similar to the points on carry strategies, lots of things in isolation, whether it's government bond deals, whether it's equity markets, whether it's spreads, might might look expensive if you just looked at any individual one, but we're in a world of relatives and actually yeah. um, equities relative to government bonds don't look half as bad as they do if you just look at them in, in isolation. Yeah, which is why ultimately we can't get too bearish. I mean, we are invested. Yeah. Um, it's just that the areas we're favouring are the areas which benefit for the, from that search for yield. I mean, that's the essential theme uh, that we're focusing on in our portfolios. But we are positioned. Ultimately, we are invested in markets. And have you have you been adjusting that overall equity exposure at all in the last few months? Well, we tactically reduced just before the Fed because we felt the market maybe got ahead of itself in its expectations. Um, and that's worked out well because, as you say, the market's corrected recently. I mean, our bias would be to to try and um, add to equity exposures if we see a lot more weakness. Okay. Um, but for now, yes, a little bit more cautiously positioned. Okay. And I guess just to take things back to a, a bit of a, a higher level, um, when you're thinking about the way the portfolios are structured right now, the outlook, what what worries you most? I think the most uncomfortable um, situation at the moment is the fact that we're forced to own expensive assets. So, you know, we have favoured the US equity market for many years and it's been the right thing to do. Mm. But it has outperformed very significantly. It is expensive relative to the other markets. So it's uncomfortable to still have to keep owning it. And the reason why we end up keep owning it, we still own it is because unfortunately the rest of the world hasn't picked up and the US offers exposure to quality stocks. But that's an uncomfortable position to be in. Ideally, by now, yeah. we would have rotated into cheaper exposures. And in a sense, we haven't been able to do that. As I said, the right thing has been to stick with expensive assets, but I'm not happy sitting in bonds yielding 1.5% and US equities and, you know, investment grade debt. But unfortunately, in a world of negative yields, that is where we've ended up. Yeah, I think I think it's a really interesting point that it's almost like um, reassuringly expensive, yeah. um, uh, which has made sense in the portfolio. Um Okay, I think we've covered a lot of really interesting points there today. If if just ask you just to to summarise your your view of the world right now, Johanna, and how kind of on average you're positioned, um, what would be the the kind of main points you'd like people to take away? I mean, I think the key thing is this sort of these two key trends of weak economic data and very aggressive central bank action. Normally, at the stage of the cycle, inflation's higher, so central banks can't ease as aggressively. So that is one of the positive things we have at the moment in this yeah. cycle. So it's quite unusual to get these two happening at the same time. And really, the way that we positioned the portfolios, we're really treading a very careful line between benefiting from the liquidity environment without taking too much cyclical risk. That's been our strategy all year. Mm-hmm. It continues to be our strategy. Okay. That, thank you very much, Johanna, and thank you very much for everyone for joining us and listening to today's podcast.